Good morning, everyone. Who's grateful to be alive? Just a couple of us. Ernie is. Oh, Elizabeth, she's in there. Grateful to be alive again today. We're grateful you showed up for church uh, on this beautiful summer day. Looking forward to next week's camping trip. Um, all week end next week, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's always an awesome time. Everybody getting together and uh, playing and enjoying each other's company around the campfires and all that. Um, we are in the last portion or the last installment of our end time series. Uh, this is a how-to guide to not fear the unknown. Uh, we need to lay our fears aside and not be afraid of the unknown, but tackle it head on and live in faith and live life of faith, trusting God that uh, our future is in his hands, that he holds our future, and we are secure because we are his. So we've been reading from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. It's where the Apostle Paul taught his... Uh, he called him his beloved son, uh, even though it wasn't his true uh, blood son. He did call him his beloved son, a spiritual son, Timothy. And he told him in this uh, chapter that in the last days that perilous times would come, that men would be bolsters and proud and haughty and all these different terms he threw out to let uh, Timothy know what people would be like living in the end times and to be prepared We've looked through eight different uh, portions of this message series. Uh, they say that's a good time frame uh, for a sermon series is don't go longer than eight because you labor the issue and uh, it's time to move on to something else. So this is the last one, number eight of uh, eight parts in the end time series. Uh, we've studied uh, how to prepare and that that event to prepare for is the rapture of the church. Uh, it's in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, that uh, Paul told the church at Thessalonica that uh, the dead in Christ should rise first, and then which we are alive and remain will be caught up to meet him in the air, and that there would be a rapture or a catching away of the saints. Uh, we taught uh, week two about how to study your Bible and about tribulation and how that uh, Paul says here in Timothy that all Scripture is given uh, for inspiration for reproof, for doctrine, and for all these things that we need to uh, look at Scripture when we're studying a topic, and we need to know how to study that. And then Revelation chapter 7, verse 14 says that there is a tribulation, and we know that that tribulation lasts for seven years, according to Daniel chapter 12, uh, and also in Rev the book of Revelation spells out the number of days of those tribulations. Uh, we talked about how to not live scared in the week two part of the tribulation's uh, segment of our series that uh, there is a second three and a half year or thereabout period of time where the Antichrist is going to rule and reign uh, with destruction and we know the bowls and the horsemen and all the different topics that is listed in Revelation and how that tribulation period is not going to be something will be enjoyed but something that will be uh, a life of dread and anguish and we don't want you to live scared now, so we apply what's going to be then to something we live now. So we don't want you to live scared 
but live in faith. Uh, week four, we talked about how to refuse, and that's the mark of the beast, that we all know the number of the mark of the beast is 666, and we know that Revelation speaks of that in the last of Revelation chapter 13 and leading into verse chapter 14, verse 1, of how that there is a mark of the beast, but also that there is a mark of Jesus, and how that we should... Uh, refuse what the enemy offers and accept what Jesus offers. Uh, week five was how to live Christian long term. Uh, the thousand year millennial reign that we know that there's a rapture, seven years of tribulation broke up in two different segments, and then a, a battle of Armageddon and a thousand year millennial reign of Christ on earth. And uh, being a Christian for a thousand years will be a long time. It'll be a long time and season that we're alive with Jesus and get to see him as king. Last time he came as a servant, this time when he returns at the second coming of Jesus, when he comes to the earth to set up a kingdom, will be for that thousand year millennial reign. It's going to be an awesome time. We'll all get to live uh, during that segment of time. And week six, we talked of how to bow, uh, that there's a great white throne judgment that God is going to set judgment, and it says in Revelation chapter 20 that uh, at that judgment seat of Christ, or the, the great white throne judgment, not the judgment seat of Christ, but the great white throne judgment, that the books will be opened, and your name will be written in a book, or it won't. And how that we need to bow now to God to have our name written in the Lamb's book of life so that we can etern inherit eternal life. And uh, how to bow during that time. And also after that, immediately following the great white throne judgment, that as God judges both the quick and the dead, and he sets up this judgment, it happens that it says in Revelation chapter 20, and verse, even in chapter 19, that when his books are opened, that some will inherit, go on to inherit eternal life, in God, with God in heaven and also uh, it talks about how that we will flourish there and what it will be an experience with God in heaven forever in eternity and how we need to know how to flourish um, then this week the last week uh, we can't talk about eternal things and we have spent seven of it on uh, other topics and different issues that we know that the Bible teaches as far as doctrine about the end times but today we have to end this installment with a, a segment about hell and the lake of fire. You got to say that with a like a gloomy, uh, doomy uh, voice. Hell and the lake of fire. And these are topics about the end time that uh, usually I don't preach on a lot. Uh, I've studied and took different classes on end time, eschatology it's called, the study of end times, uh, and learning some of these things and how scripture interprets scripture that you put them uh, line upon line, precept upon precept, and how that scripture will bring us to a conclusion of how things will happen. There is some knowns, but also some unknowns that God leaves the day or the hour. We don't know that, so that's an unknown. So... As we're looking through these things, I don't believe that we can go through a series like this and not talk about the lake of fire. 
And sure, we love talking about heaven, and we love talking about when everybody dies and you go to a funeral and, and everybody wants to spell out, and nobody ever wants to say, this person laying in this casket today is going to hell that will end up in a lake of fire. You don't hear that at a funeral because it's not a comfortable place to talk about those things, right? And we cannot damn anybody to hell on our own account or our judgment. It's about the judgment of God. So it's not my place to tell somebody whether they're going to heaven or whether they're going to hell. Amen? We are not to judge. Judge not, lest you be judged. For the same measure that you judge, you will be judged. <laughs> so we've got to be careful. So these end-time things that I'm talking about today, the lake of fire. So in speaking about the lake of fire, I believe we have to look at history, look at present, and look at future. Okay, so in studying this or talking about this, I want us to see the history, what the present state is, and what the future state is as far as hell and lake of fire. So there's all kinds of scriptures throughout the Bible that talks about these places of existence. In the psalmist, they write about a place called hell. Sometimes it's listed as a place called Sheol, S-H-E-O-L, I think, something like that. Sheol, I'm not very good at spelling. O-U-L, I think so, yeah. So it also speaks about a place called Hades. And it's got the word hell, H-E-L-L, listed 54 times, I think, in the King James Version. So hell is mentioned a lot. It's a topic that is not to be discarded as a place that does not exist. There was a preacher a few years ago at a mega church uh, wrote a book about hell is not a place, but it is a frame of mind and it is something we experience here, that hell is not an eternal thing. So some of what he was saying was kindly making sense, and you've got to take all of it together to see well, what does Scripture teach. Because you can read a book about anything, but the truth is that the Bible is the truth and every man's a liar. Amen? So we've got to be careful about these philosophies and these vain philosophies the Bible teaches about and people being deceived and deceiving many. It talks all over the place about that, so we've got to be careful. I want to know the truth. The Bible says if you know the truth, the truth will make you free. So in studying eternal things and talking about hell, I want us to see the truth of hell. I don't want to put my spin on it or anybody else's spin on it. I want it to be what the Scripture teach. And what do we believe about hell? What do we know about hell? How many spends a lot of time thinking about hell? Is that like a daily thing you walk up and think, wake up and think, man, I want, to, I want to just ponder all day about hell. I'm just going to think all this. No, it isn't what we do. So one time I preached a sermon a few years ago entitled, What in Hell Do You Want? Because hell is a place. What in hell do you want? Because if you end up going there, that means there's something there that you want or you desire, right? I desire nothing in hell. Amen? I don't want anything in hell. I don't want to go there. I don't want to exist there. I don't want any of my friends to go there. I don't even want my enemies to go there. It's an eternal damnation, separation from God, and I don't want to live eternally without God. Some people choose to, that's their choice. Amen? I can't make that choice for them. It's a scary thing to ever say to somebody, 
and tell them to go to hell. That's just a most ungodly thing for a Christian to ever say. Don't ever say that. Don't ever put that in your mouth. Don't let those words roll off your tongue because it is separating them from God eternally, and that's not a good thing, even your enemy. Jesus said pray for your enemies. Pray for those that despitefully use you. So let's learn what the Scripture say about hell. Where is it? Is it a place? Is hell a physical place? Is it somewhere that we know according to Scripture? And we're looking at these 54 different places that it says in Scripture. What does it say? Where, where is hell? So there's all kinds of them listed. I wrote down a few of them. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 24 says, The way of life is above to the wise that he may depart from hell beneath. So hell is beneath. Right? Everybody point down. Say, that's hell. Point up. Say, that's heaven. We don't understand that. There's some unknowns about that, right? Because if we're pointing up here, and somebody in Japan's pointing up, it's the exact opposite direction, but heaven's out there somewhere. It's where Jesus went. He went in a cloud. I don't know where that is. I just know it's up there, right? I remember being a little kid and going to church and hearing sermons about heaven and hearing about Jesus on a cloud. And, and me and Howie one time thought for sure when we was little kids, and I remembered I was little, little. And I remember me and Howie telling, going back and running in and telling Mom, we seen Jesus on a cloud. I don't know if it was a, a Jesus himself or it was a cloud that had a shape that looked like Jesus because we was looking for it because somebody preached about it. But I know for sure that I was little and my mind was set on things above. Amen. So as I saw that, and think about that, I knew way early on, hell is down. Amen? Heaven is up. So, Proverbs 15 says, hell is beneath us. So that's something we know. Isaiah 14, 9 said, hell from beneath is moved from thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It hath raised up from its thrones all the kings of the nation. Hell beneath us is moved for thee. So hell is a place beneath us. Is it the center of the earth? Is it lava? I don't know. It's unknowns, okay? How many will just agree? I don't know where that is or what that's like, but I know, know this, that it says it's beneath me. It's scripture. So I'm believing it's down there. I don't want anybody to go there. So, in saying all that, if we look at Scripture and we know that hell is beneath us, that Isaiah the prophet is telling us that, the, the um, King David's son, Solomon. Solomon wrote Proverbs, and he was saying in Proverbs that hell is beneath us. So he's the wisest man to ever live until Jesus, right? Solomon, King Solomon, the scripture tells us that he's wise. So he's telling us that. We know that to be true. So now that place is down there. It's a place of existence. It was not created, it says in Isaiah, for humans. It was created for the devil and all the ones he led away in heaven, and God created a place for them. So as this place was created by God, for the devil and all those that angels that he led astray out of heaven, 
It says in Isaiah, I saw you, O Lucifer, as lightning fall from the sky, and you drug a third of the stars with you, representing the angels. And God created a place called hell for them because they rebelled against him. So it's an eternal separation against God, a place of eternal separation. So all through the Old Testament, from the time of Adam and Eve, even before them, because the angels fell from heaven even before the earth was created, I believe, before the foundation of the earth, right? So we know that that place is in existence. And we know that Adam and Eve and God created this garden, right? Garden of what? Huh? Garden of Gethsemane. Leslie's mixing up two gardens in the Bible. The Garden of Eden, right? A place of peace, a place where that it never rained, that dew just fell on the ground and everything grew, and it, it was a wonderful place. And they walked around, and, and they were naked and wasn't afraid. And only the kids laughed. So they're walking around naked, and they don't even know they're naked because they're in a pure form that God created them in his image. So as they're uh, going around, and then the next thing you know, the enemy, old Slewfoot, shows up. And whenever he shows up, he, he convinces them to believe that God is withholding something good from them. Because God told them, you can eat of the, free, uh, the fruit of the tree of life, but don't eat of this fruit. Right? So here they go over there. They're together. This time they eat of this fruit, whatever it is. So a lot of people draw apples and all this different stuff. They don't say it, it just says it's a fruit, a forbidden fruit. They partook of it, and immediately sin was birthed in humanity. It was the fall of man. It's known, it's a doctrine known as the fall of man. So at the fall of man, it's eternal separation from God. So when God shows up the next day in the cool of the day, it says, that when he shows up, he's, he starts looking for Adam and Eve, and he starts hollering at him, where you at? Hey, we used to hang out every day. It's like having a BFF every day, Jill. And then all of a sudden, you show up one day, and you met them there every day for a long, long time. And when you show up that day, they're not there, and you're like hollering, hey, where you at? Maddie or whatever her name is. Right? Is that your BFF? Okay. So God's showing up for his BFFs and ain't there. And finally, they holler and say, well, we're not coming out because we're naked. Right? Separated from God by their choice of sin. That's what sin does to us today. Amen? When we sin, we feel a separation from God. But aren't you thankful in a New Testament world that we're living in today that the Scripture teaches that we have an advocate with the Father that goes on our behalf and petitions God and says, here is my blood, let it atone for the sin of all mankind. So we can receive salvation today. Why? Because Jesus is our lawyer. He's going to God for us. We don't have to go it alone. That's awesome. Adam and Eve didn't have that. They were left alone, separated from God. So when, at that point, the body began a process of aging, Right? Adam was born, I don't know, maybe he's born 30 years old. I don't know. It says God created him out of the dust of the earth. I don't know if he made like a little baby version, like a little baby here, or if he made him a little bit bigger, like a teenager, or like an adult, 30, I don't know. We don't know how God made them, right? Just that he made them. So here they are. They're living in this eternal state of not aging, 
But now they took a forbidden fruit, and now they begin to age. And he tells them, you're going to go out, and you're going to have to tool the ground, and you're going to have to work, or you ain't going to eat. Look at your neighbor and say, you're supposed to work if you want to eat. Right, Ryan? Ryan don't like to work. Whenever his boss tells him to work overtime, he's like, nah, I don't want none. I don't like overtime either. I'm with you. But the Bible says if we don't work, we don't eat. And I'm pretty fond of eating. Amen? So we got to work. Brother Craig, he's tried to retire four or five times since I've known him. And he likes to eat, so he's got to keep working to keep eating. Right? Miss Craig, too, she's, she's uh, retired a couple times since we've known her, too. They love to work. God created us to work. There's nothing wrong with working. There's nothing wrong with retirement and breaking and kicking the back a little easy, too. But you still got to do something. You got to stay active even in retirement. Amen? So... Here, Adam and Eve sin. They're separated from God. They begin to age. Next thing you know, the body, the physical body that they're living in, dies. Can you imagine the first funeral? You know what the first funeral was? Huh? Yeah, there was. First funeral service. Adam and Eve. I don't know if they made a casket. It doesn't say. But they had to stand and look at their son Abel, who their other son killed. That's what sin brings, is destruction. Stand there and look at him and say, this is my son and he's no longer here. He don't live anymore. So the first funeral was Abel. How sad that our choices affect others. Amen? So here they are, have the funeral service. Where does Abel go? Everybody say, where's Abel? Where's Abel? I, see, it's kind of like, where's Waldo, right? Where's Abel? I, nobody knows. God knows. So when someone dies, where do they go in the Old Testament waiting for the final judgment? Everybody say he went to hell. How many believes that? Abel went to hell. Even though he lived a righteous life. Right? His sacrifice was well-pleasing to God. And his brother killed him for it. He done the right thing, got killed for doing the right thing. But he still ends up in hell. Why? How do you get to heaven? Through Jesus. Had Jesus came and hung on a cross yet? Nope. So everybody prior to Jesus went to hell. Everybody. Good and bad. This messes with our theology a little bit, right? That we have to think about even good people go to hell. That's like eye-opening to us, isn't it? It's like, oh my goodness, how can that be? time to wake up was that your alarm to wake up I hope not at noon okay even good people go to hell Abel was a good guy went to hell why because his mom and dad brought sin into the world that brought corruption into the world that got his brother to kill him and everybody's got some sin 
Amen? We're born into sin. How many believes that? Everybody's born a sinner. Whether we like it, whether we don't, we're all born sinners. There is no righteous one born. <laughs> the only one was was Jesus, and it was a special day. Amen? Wise men, shepherds, everybody come when Jesus was born. So here you are, and, and, and then Abel ends up in hell. How sad that even good people go to hell in the Old Testament. So if you look at it and pair Scripture with Scripture and understand it with that backdrop, now we've got this, we've, we've got a, a place here, right? We know that he's got to go to hell because he can't go to heaven because Jesus hasn't came yet. It's pretty simple when we think about it that way. Where's that at? The Bible talks about it being a grave, a place of resting. This is where the Catholics call like a purgatory, a holding place, a, a place of containment waiting on judgment. And that's literally where they are. Because I believe if you go in the Old Testament, and you'll see one time that Samuel had died. The prophet Samuel had died, and whenever they put him in the ground, and he was in a place of rest, and Samuel was a prophet of God, a good guy, but he still ended up in hell, even being a good guy. So the prophet's down there, and next thing you know, the, next, the, the first king that was anointed, uh, Saul, came through, and, and he had always had Samuel to go to, to go ask for advice, right? And then all of a sudden, he don't have him anymore, and Saul goes out to the median, uh, the which of what indoor and whenever he gets out there he talks to her and he says I want Samuel to give me some advice see if you can call him up and the Bible says that Samuel comes up out of the ground in a spiritual form and he says to Saul why did you awaken me he comes up out of the ground where's he at in hell Jesus hasn't come yet so Jesus Standing one day telling a story and telling a parable and talking in a, in a way that people can understand. Kind of the way I'm trying to do right now is my simple mind. We've got to keep it simple for us to get it, right? If we're going to talk about hell, it's got to be simple for me to understand it because there's some unknowns, but there are some knowns. So everybody prior to Jesus that died went to hell. Everybody, 100%, nobody got to go to heaven. Everybody say Amen. So here they are. What's that place like? What's it exist like? So here you are. Jesus is telling a story one day, and he says there's this, there's this place. He's going to tell them a story, and he says there's this place, and in this place there's a rich man named Lazarus, and there's a, 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 rich, a poor man named Lazarus and a rich man there, right? And he tells them a story. And he says, in this place that Lazarus, being a poor man during this life, is in this place, and it's known as Abraham's bosom. So where is everybody at prior to Jesus? Tell me. Hell. If he's talking about Lazarus being in Abraham's bosom and calls it a place called paradise, where's paradise? Hell. Amen? This weirds us out. I see, Brother Craig, it's, it, it's, it's weird, isn't it? But if you think about it in context of what the Bible is saying when, it has to be. So Jesus says, in this place called paradise, Abraham's bosom, there's a righteous man there in this place. He's protected, but it's still hell. It's the place of holding for the righteous dead. Follow me? But he said there's a great gulf betwixt the two. 
And in that great gulf, there's another guy on the other side, a rich man, and he's standing over there, and it's weeping and gnashing of teeth, and he's begging for even a drop of water to dip off somebody's finger to dip on his tongue to give him a little bit of rest. Amen? And he says that as he looks over, he says, the rich man finally says, won't you please send Lazarus back and tell my brothers about this place that we're in and it's damnation, it's separation from God, it's not a good place. Send him back, please. And Jesus said, you've had the prophets, you've had everybody to come and tell you about how this world lives and goes on and eternal things, and they didn't believe them, we're not sending Lazarus back anyway. So then, let's fast forward just a little bit farther. Jesus, they beat him, they flog him, they, they bring him and bring him into captivity, put him in chains, and we know the passion of Christ and the movie and all the stuff, and they, they spit on him and hit him, and, and then they take him and hang him on a tree, and he's hanging on this tree for you and me. And as he's hanging on this tree, he's standing there, hanging there, with his nails through his feet, nails through his hands. And at the very last moments of his life, there's two individuals right beside him. Both of them are thieves and robbers, done bad things. Jesus is righteous. One of them looks over and says to him, Take me with you wherever you go today. Amen? He tells the other one, Shut up, leave him alone. This guy did nothing wrong. He don't deserve to be here. And Jesus looks over at this man and he says, Today, you'll be with me where? Paradise. Where's paradise? Hell. Jesus went to hell. So as Jesus perishes on the cross, they stick a, a, a big spear through his side, they puncture his heart, and, and blood, blood and water gush out, and he breathes his last breath. At that very moment, this body is not us. We are a spirit and a soul living inside a temporal body. Amen? So the very last breath of Jesus, when he last breathed in this body, his spirit man and his soul immediately went into the place Known to where all humanity had always gone because he was in a human form. He took on a form of a servant. He come, become like us. So he goes to hell. Why? Why would Jesus go to hell? He is the fulfillment of all things. When God told Adam and Eve that your seed will bruise the hill of him that's trying to stomp your head, it was speaking about Jesus. That's Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, I believe it is. And whenever, whenever that happened, God was prophesying there's coming one who's going to be perfect, who's going to remedy this situation known as sin. And his name is Jesus. And when Jesus did that, and he went to hell because you were destined to go to hell. Your appointment in eternal things prior to Jesus was to go to hell. But Jesus changed that. Amen? Jesus made a way where there seemed to be no ways, what Scripture says. He makes a way where there didn't look like there's no way out. If even Samuel went to hell, I don't have much of a chance. 
If King David was a man after God's own heart and he said, though I be laid down and though I make my bed in hell, you're there with me. God is through Abraham placing people in a place of paradise but it's still torment away from God being eternally without Him. Scary stuff. But Jesus changed everything. Wow. Everybody says, I want to go to paradise. Look at your neighbor and say, I don't. Amen? I don't want to go to paradise. Why? Because that's in hell. Amen? So Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, prophesying about things yet to come, speaks about this place known as hell. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 14 says, Therefore hell hath enlarged herself, and opened her mouth without measure, and their glory, and their multitude, and their pomp, and he that rejoices shall descend into it. So hell enlarges itself. How does hell enlarge itself? Do you want hell to be bigger? No. But hell enlarged itself. Why? How? Let's teach me something through Scripture. So hell enlarged itself. Isaiah, Isaiah prophesied about it, right? So how does it enlarge itself? 1 Peter 3.19 says this. That Jesus preached unto the spirits in the prison. When Jesus went to hell... He's got a single purpose. And Jesus' purpose is dead focused directly on one thing. It's taking everybody he can to heaven with him. Amen? John chapter 14. He tells us, I go away to prepare a place for you that where I am, that there you may be also. Amen? Jesus knows heaven's coming. So he knows that hell and paradise and this place and this gulf betwixt it, and he knows all that. And he's down there preaching to those spirits and the dead, everybody that had died prior to him. And he preaches the gospel of Jesus to them. And then it says in Ephesians that he led captivity captive. It says, He that also ascended has also descended. Where? To the uttermost parts of the earth. And whenever he went there, he preached and he liberated those that were in hell. You think Samuel was happy to see him come to paradise? I believe he was. Do you think Lazarus that was down there living that, the life in, in the place of Abraham's bosom was happy to see Jesus show up on sight? Amen. I believe they would have been happy and welcomed him and said, Welcome to hell, Jesus. Thank God you're going to take me somewhere better than here. And Jesus leads captivity captive. Why did hell enlarge itself? Because Jesus took those that locked up the righteous dead out of Abraham's bosom and he carried them with him. And he took them to heaven. It wasn't paradise. That's there. Heaven is there. Won't it be wonderful there? Come on, somebody. Won't it be wonderful there? Miss Craig, she's, she knows the old song. That's why, man, if we would put this in context of how good it's going to be there when there's been so many generations that had to endure things that we won't have to endure, you and I do not have to go to hell because Jesus has come. Hell enlarged itself because it took over territory that Jesus took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. 
and they led captivity captive and took people out of there and hell enlarged itself because it took over because the enemy any time that you abandon a place he'll take it over amen he's always on the war path always on the tear always trying to engulf himself and 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 go out and get as many as will follow him to follow him that's what it says in timothy deceived and being deceived Hell is that place, but the lake of fire is somewhere totally different. So you're not going to live eternity in hell. Come on, somebody. Hell is not an eternal place. It's a holding place until the great white throne judgment. At the great white throne judgment, it says the sea will give up its dead, doesn't it? So God calls us all out, everybody, at this great white throne judgment at the end of the thousand-year millennial reign. The only dead in Christ that arise first at that first resurrection known as the rapture is the righteous dead that's there getting their glorified body and we're going with Jesus in the air. So here we go on this trip. I'm going to take a trip in a good old gospel ship. I'm going far beyond the sky. Amen? So here we are, we're with Jesus in this eternal place. And what happens? It's glorious. But hell has got to give up its dead. And they're going to stand before God at a great white throne judgment. And he's going to tell them then, you're going to a place known as the lake of fire. That's not hell. If they think hell is bad now, there's a second death that says, it's even worse than the first. Eternal death. How many looks forward to dying? If I said today there's going to be a good old gospel ship and we're going far beyond the sky and today everybody in here needs to drink purple Kool-Aid and we're all going to make Jesus, you're all going to say drink your own Kool-Aid. I'm not drinking it, right? I hope. We all want to go to heaven. We just don't want to go today. We don't look forward to dying. Second death is an eternal anguish about death, an eternity of life separated from God in a place called the lake of fire. It's an awful place. Don't go there. Whatever you do, don't go there. Hopefully I've done justice to the topic of what the Bible says about hell and the lake of fire. And I know we've covered a lot of ground in 30 minutes. We've covered probably 6,000 years that I know of, according to Scripture, in 30 minutes. That's a long time. But eternity is going to be even longer. So won't you stand? And we're going to close out this sermon series entitled, The End Times, or also known as The Last Days, or Perilous Times. And I want to ask everyone to bow their head and close their eyes. No one wondering what your neighbor's doing. Or nobody looking around. I want to ask you as your pastor a very simple question. If you've never made a commitment to Jesus to say, I want to live in heaven with you forever in eternity. And I don't want to go to hell now. And I don't want to be eternally separated from you in the lake of fire. I want my name in the Lamb's book of life. 
And this doesn't have to be the first time. Maybe you've known God before and you've turned from him and walked away from him. He hasn't abandoned you, but you have abandoned him. And you want to return to him and ask him to be your Lord and Savior for eternity. Is there anybody here that would say, Pastor, I want to pray this prayer because I want to go to heaven and I don't want to live in hell or the lake of fire. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Anybody? Amen. Thank you for that hand. Anybody else? Thank you for that hand. Come on, be brave. Be brave. You don't have to live in hell. Thank you for that hand. There's been three. There's more that needs to raise your hand and say, I'm tired of living in sin, separated from God. I want to live in heaven. Anybody else? But the deal is, you don't have to raise your hand. I've asked you to do that so I know to pray for you. But I can't save you. Your communication with God will save you. And if you've never, ever prayed the sinner's prayer, I want you to pray. I want everybody in here so that we can embolden each other and encourage each other. I want everybody in here to pray together. Everybody, lift up your voice and say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I'm asking you to forgive me for my sins, for my faults, and for my failures. Let me live in eternity with you. And let me live my best life now. According to your word. Thank you for Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.